Hello, Making Comics listeners. This is Keith. I am dropping something in at the beginning of this episode because we recorded this before Scott and I got a table at Comic-Con Revolution in Ontario, December 18th and 19th. So if you are in the Southern California area, or you can travel to the Southern California area, come see us. We're going to be at booth I-9 in Artist Alley. It is the Making Comics podcast booth. Scott's going to have his books there, and I'm going to have mine. So we hope we'll see you there. December 18th and 19th, Comic-Con Revolution, Ontario, California. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisande for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to the upcoming comic Three Protectors. So this is another special edition of Blossom where we are recording live. Keith was in town for San Diego Comic Con. Special edition. Special so edition. Special edition of Comic Con. Special edition of making comics. That's yeah. how we do this. Yeah, it's much easier to record in person. So he just took a trip over on the last day here and uh, we're going to knock it out. Yeah. So is that the first thing you want to talk about or do you want to talk about something else before well, let's that? Let's talk about the beer we're splitting first. That's oh, only fair. Very we, true. We cut ourselves off because we were like... Uh, like, wait a minute, we should talk about this shit live. So uh, this beer, I believe, is called, is it called Tiramisu, Scott? Yeah, Tiramisu. It is a pastry stout. And um, let me see. 8%, I looked it up. 8%, and it's by Campology Brewing. All right, here, take a look at that. Cam Campanology. Campanology. Campanology in Wanakee, Wisconsin. And somehow this is, and Scott can't handle it. He's about to choke on it. Choke on the Wisconsin. Uh, contains lactose, so that's that's good. Oh no, I'm lactose intolerant. I'm yeah, there you go. No. That's uh, so it is. Uh, it is good. And uh, what well, what? So what you said was, what do you what did, what did you enjoy uh, eating with it when you? So, so the first time I had this beer. Um, was a few nights back, my girlfriend picked up a bunch of stuff at Trader Joe's for me. I, I had mentioned wanting some kind of festive beers, and she found this. And she was making gingerbread cookies at the time, and I said, why not? Busted open a bottle. It was amazing. A great pairing. So if you come across this beer, go to your local Trader Joe's, the Tiramisu. It's there for a limited time only. Three ninety nine, not too bad. You can get two tall glasses out of it. So that's very good. And uh, give that a try. Have it with some graham crackers or some gingerbread or something like that. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. And and the thing I was going to say, which I will say now, is you really notice a difference in the taste of stouts when the alcohol level is below 10. Because this is 8%. It's a stout. It's, that is that is a a handsome alcohol content right there. It looks, it looks very good on everybody. When you get up into a lot of these stout things, especially the bourbon barrel age and things like that, you you can get that up to 13, 15%. And uh, <laughs> and you know, like I think Gary mentioned it a couple weeks ago, right? That it's like it's like eating an oatmeal cookie, but it's got that alcohol finish at the end, because I think that one had all kinds of stuff going on. It was like bourbon barrel aged and an oatmeal cookie and all this stuff. Yeah. So you get that that alcohol sting where at eight percent. It's a lot sweeter. You really don't get that alcohol sting from it. So, yeah, yeah, it's really yeah, good. It's I'm going down en- smooth. I'm going to enjoy sipping on this, and then uh, not only that, but we're splitting this beer because uh, I have to drive home after this. Yeah, and uh, and you know, but inside baseball, we're recording this 
uh, because of my funky schedule, we're just recording when we can and we'll worry about it. But we are actually recording this on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And uh, this works out pretty well, I think, because traffic probably sucks right now because this is one of the worst travel days of the year. So by the time this podcast is over, however, I think the roads will be a little bit more clear and I'll be able to have that much smoother a ride oh, yeah. on the way home. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of more fun in person anyway. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in person's always better. So is Comic-Con the first thing you want to talk about or do you have uh, some process stuff that you want to go first? No, let's talk about Comic-Con. Let's yeah, talk about why not? Comic-Con. So um, it, I, yeah, Comic-Con Special Edition just wrapped a few hours ago. My, let, let, let me give a couple, you know, look, it would be very easy for me to say, like, it was a great show. And I think it was a good show. You know, I did well. I made a, a pretty hefty, a, a nice profit. Let's go with a nice profit. Um, and one of the reasons is because I don't have hotel and I don't have airfare. I just got to pay for parking and I got to pay for the table and a little bit of gas and we're good to go. It, I think I, uh, it, this, this was about expectations. This was about expectations because on one hand, it's a special. So Comic-Con special edition tells you everything you need to know. Special edition lets you know that we have no idea how this is going to go. It's Thanksgiving weekend. All bets are off. Who knows what this is going to look like, but it's Comic-Con. So you've got that excitement in your head of like, this is Comic-Con. And it was it was a real Comic-Con, but it wasn't. You know, it was like, a, if you're a baseball fan, it was like a double-A Comic-Con. If mm-hmm. you're a basketball fan, it was like a G-League Comic-Con. Okay. You know, none of none of the big publishers were there. The biggest publishers that were there were like Aspen Comics and Aftershock Comics. And that may have been it. You okay. know, like, where that's, that's the level we're talking about here. There are a couple, like, cool toy things. But, you know, as far as I know, the marquee people... There was like some sort of Hello Kitty Gundam going on, okay. which was one of the big toys. And then Bait had uh, like Squid Game um, toys, like like vinyl toys, very small. Yeah, I think Bait is local to SD, so that's probably why they were they, they were had here a, for that. And they had a huge booth, so um, so yeah, that just just to you know set people on what was like. There was a very large artist alley, but in artist alley you got six feet instead of four. I know you do Artist Alley and you're all jammed into each other for, you know, the OG, the July Comic-Con. Yeah. So, you know, you don't know what to expect. And on the first day, I had a really, really good day for, for a first day, for a Friday. And, um, and you know, because of that, I'm sitting there walking in on Saturday going, man, I could have a record kind of day today. You know, like if Friday was this then imagine what Saturday is going to be at, at Comic-Con. And the thing about Friday was lots of foot traffic. You know, throughout the weekend, the thing was really impressive, even as the G League version of Comic-Con is just how much foot traffic there was. Um, I equated it to Denver Comic-Con on the best day I have ever been there in terms of foot traffic. Now, Denver Comic-Con, top five con in the country, you know, in terms of attendance. I mean, it's, it's San Diego, way up top, New York, New York thinks it's San Diego, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, you just sort of have this cluster of conventions that are all quite good. That's uh, Emerald City, City, Denver, um, WonderCon, and there might be a couple. Oh, C2E2 in Chicago, that's another big one. And then there are some. um, MegaCon in Orlando is pretty nice. I don't know if it's quite top five, but that gives you the idea. I think Phoenix used to be there, but Phoenix has notched down a little bit when we tabled there. Right. Um, it, it it just it wasn't quite the pinnacle it was three years before when I. Had oh, I see. There. 
So where does that fall in accordance with those other ones? Phoenix? Uh, no, the San Diego Special Edition. I, I would put it like in that next cluster. I mean, okay, it just right. I, I wouldn't say it's as good as Emerald City. Okay. But I would say it was as good as like Denver on a really good day in terms right. of foot traffic. Okay. Um, but what was weird is despite all the foot traffic, so Saturday I had a ton of foot traffic, but but what was weirder too is, you know, we're, we're all, you and I could probably do each other's pitch on some level. And I did my usual stuff and I'm talking about my book and, and there's this usual spot where people are like, yeah, cool, I'll take it. And you can tell, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you get a vibe after doing this for nine years and they never did. And it was so strange. And yeah, I mean, law of averages, because later in the day, all of a sudden, a lot more people did it. So it, it, it worked itself out. But uh, Saturday was not as good as Friday. And then Sunday sort of felt like a normal Sunday. So, um, so yeah, man, it, it ended up being a pretty nice show. I have no complaints. Again, like profited, did all that stuff, made a lot of cool contacts, had some cool things go on and made a couple interesting revelations about shows going forward that I can talk about at some other time. But, okay. uh, yeah, man, it was, it was cool. It was a good show. Um, Hopefully one of these days I actually do like the real Comic Con so I can get a comparison. Yeah. Um, and of course I'm pleased and we'll we'll see what's going on. So yeah, it was it was different. It was definitely different. Yeah, it might be something to talk about the two one five guys uh, about trying to get a small press. Mm-hmm. Um, small press honestly is the way to go if you're going to be focusing mainly on books and just kind of have prints as a side side piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, small press is perfect for that. I made you know. A quite good amount of money the last time we did small press. I think we've only done it once and we were supposed to do it again and then COVID hit, right? Yeah. So, but we did very well. And honestly, I it was on par with my my uh, artist alley sales at San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. The only difference was instead of making, you know, X amount of dollars in prints, I was making them in comic books. So yes. that it made the world's difference to me. It was just like, wow, we moved this many books. Like that's crazy. Yes. Like uh, one of the aliens tallied how many single issues, like issues total, that mm-hmm. we sold over the weekend, and it was an incredible amount. I was like, wow, this is this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. So after that, like it's a higher price tag. You know, if you didn't know San Diego Comic Con normally, so the special edition uh, is different, but normally Artist Alley is free. If you're able to get in, um, the difference is uh, $600 for a small press. Mm-hmm. You will make that money back. Yeah. If you have enough product, your books are good. You got a good sales pitch. You're going to make that money back and more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, ever since we did it, I was just like, yeah, this is the place to be. This is exactly, exactly what I want to do. Nice. And that's, that was my number one choice for the July comic con. Cause I've already put in. Um, and from what I understand, when I applied for July comic con, you and I will both find out. You don't need to worry because you're probably in already. But for me, it's like I'm going to find out probably within the next one to three weeks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what they said when I submitted. They said, you'll probably hear from us, you know, within three weeks. This was like three weeks ago. So wow. uh, so we will see how it goes. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers because I would really like to get in the rotation, but I can't control it. Yeah. Know? So anyway, yeah, it was interesting. Again, like there was some oddness to it. But uh, and but it happens too, and I think part of it too is that I was in Artist Alley, and I was surrounded by people that were selling prints. And I mean, I've lived in Artist Alley for all these years, but at WonderCon in spring, I am in the small press section. Okay, and uh, we'll we'll see if if the uh, if the San Diego gods afford me the chance to do the same thing in July. We'll see. 
Yeah, fingers crossed, man. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, How so about you? What was your first thing? I would say my first thing is that I want to talk about. It's probably lettering. I started lettering issue 10 of Second Shift. I'm going over the script that Ed sent me. Uh, I'm doing page by page. So I'm doing something a little different this year. Normally, I'll do all of the lettering, and then I just send it all to Ed at once. And then he'll go through and, and uh, you know, I'll make the corrections and the adjustments and whatnot. This time I'm sending them page by page. As soon as I finish it, I'll turn it into a JPEG and shoot it over to him. He give, gives me the corrections right away. I make the adjustments and then I save it to the, to the cloud. And I think I like that process way better. Mm. Because what happens is if you're getting, if you're shooting over 22 pages of story, 20 to 22 pages of story, and you're getting you know, 15 pages that have corrections on it, it's a little flustering. It's just like, well, damn it, I just did all the work and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now I, I've gotten smarter with it. Like, the more lettering I do, the smarter I get with it. For one, I don't connect the tails uh, to the balloons quite yet because the balloon size might change. So I just have them pointing where they need to go. And I have the dialogue there. I have the words uh, bolded that need to be punctuated when, when spoken or read. And, uh, then I sent them over to him. So I found a nice productive way to do this to where the corrections don't feel so overwhelming. It's just, uh, page by page. And, uh, I think it moves pretty, pretty smoothly. Nice. Nice. Okay. So you're doing a page by page thing and you're getting, uh, I, I, there's this phrase in movies, uh, it's called the dailies. Where mm. you just, the, the next morning what you do is you quick review the footage that you shot the day before. And uh, I always liked that in the music context. And that sort of applies here, right? You're just going page by page. You get the dailies. You do the edits on the fly and you keep going like that. So that process is new. Yeah, yeah, this is brand new. I normally just do it all and then send it all to them at once and then wait to hear back. And so that's a little more, I don't know, stressful, I think. And so this is a way easier way to get the corrections done at a reasonable rate and I'm on uh, page three now. So nice. uh, yeah, I started yesterday. Honestly, I could have done more if I had dedicated time, but yesterday was booked up. Um, this whole weekend has been crazy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we've been doing stuff with family and yeah. so it's been nonstop all week and we're fitting in the things that we need to do for ourselves personally, uh, you know, when we can. And so yesterday I got enough time to basically do a page and a half. Mm -hmm. And then today it's been nonstop. And, uh, I finally got to work on the rest of that second page and, uh, you know, the th uh, third page, like yeah, well, as you were coming in I was working nice, on Nice. Nice. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is you and Daniela's first dual Thanksgiving as a couple. Yeah. Right? Thanksgiving tends to be the hardest logistics day on couples because for Christmas, First of all, just through the natural order of things, it feels like one family always celebrates it the night before anyway. And if they yes. don't, yeah. there's flexibility there. You spread out the time more. Thanksgiving, it is the day. No one celebrates Thanksgiving by like, let's have Thanksgiving meal on a Wednesday. No, it's right. not how it works. You yeah. know, So Thanksgiving can be pretty hellish on the family dynamic when you're trying to hit two Thanksgivings and do whatever you need to do, possibly eat twice, possibly, you know, eat less, right. don't offend people. You don't want to show up at somebody's house and not eat because then somebody's going to get offended. Like you know? that's the whole holiday. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Come here and eat food. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the point of this holiday. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's, um, I got really lucky in that sense because my family always does Thanksgiving lunch. And she said her family always does Thanksgiving dinner. 
And I was like, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah that's that works out. My mom gets up hella early. She gets up at like five and starts cooking. And so everything's done by 11. Mm. And um, so so it worked out in that sense, but it just made us very busy. Yeah. You know, we had my family stuff during the day and then her family at night. And then Friday we went to the desert. My, my family loves doing the whole desert thing. They have their, their quads, their dune buggies, all that stuff. I'm not into it, mm-hmm. but I love hanging out. Um, so we just drink, we play games, you know, uh, have fun with the kids or whatever. They go on their rides. I just chill out. And, uh, so we went up for the day. So that was something new for me. I usually stay the night. Mm -hmm. I'll go up Friday with one of the nephews or nieces who choose to not go early and I'll ride up with them and then I'll get a ride from one of my siblings on the way back. But, um, we did a one day turnaround. It was kind of cool because we got to, we got to do all the things that I normally like to do. And then we got a shower, which I never get to do out there and, uh, sleep in my own bed. So yeah, it wasn't too bad. Nice. Nice. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so my second thing is related to my first thing, um, which is I, we did talk about how, yeah, we did talk about last week that, uh, the novel is on the shelf, taking a little bit of time from it. And I am now proceeding to write prose in the novel November way that I hope will get me ready for this comic I want to make. That's sort of a spinoff or a relation to the novel. And so I've been, I've been cranking through it, man. I mean, by my count, I've been averaging, let's just go with like 1,200 words a day, something like that. Maybe a little bit more. I'm not keeping a strict count. And one of the reasons I'm not keeping a strict count, I'm about to say, which is, you know, so I was at my table on Friday and I've got downtime. It's, it's, you know, it's not hard to get some writing in at the booth because even at, at, at my best shows ever, I am still idle for at least 70% of the time at booths. You know, that's, that's the way it is living that indie comics life. So my neck and back structure, upper back and, and neck have been bothering me for a couple weeks now. And the last thing I wanted to do was open up my laptop and sit there, you know, looking down at my knees at the exact angle that is just has aggravated this and may have set it in motion on an airplane a couple weeks ago. So I said, wait a minute. You can write longhand. Why not write longhand? And so that's what I did. I busted out a journal. I keep a journal with me all the time. You know, way back in the day, there was a lot more thought journaling going on these days it tends to be i jot down the things i want to talk about on making comics or i'll write my notes from workshop it's much more like productive based and so i was like yeah that sounds kind of fun and uh i wrote longhand for for today i just didn't feel like writing i think i've gotten to a little mini point in the story where i gotta think it through and then write like there's 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 no sense writing because the writing will be shit and i'll throw it away anyway i gotta think through the scene before i write it even though i'm still trying to go fast that's that's exactly what it's like with pages too. I think there's a mis uh, misperception as to how artists lay their pages out. You know, there is a lot of thought that goes into it. It's not just panel one, panel two, panel three, panel four, panel five. It's not these these flashes of moments. There's like prepping and planning that goes into it. Okay, all right, these people need to do this, but also you need to have your your um, your scene direction, you know, your back, background elements that are helping the the eye flow through the page, like like we've talked about recently. And uh, a lot of artists don't think about that because they don't know about it yet. Mm-hmm. And once you know about it, you can't not see it. So uh, it's an interesting thing. You you need to do the work beforehand, be, beforehand before you even put 
uh, pencil to paper. Perfect. Exactly. And same thing with the scene. I can't, I can't write what the dialogue's going to do if I don't know what either character is going to do. You have to have at least an idea of what's in their head and get in that moment. And the first two days at Comic-Con, I was totally fine getting into that space today. I felt like just being social and, and chopping it up with, uh, I made, I, I had a really good acquaintance with uh, Alex, the dude who was next to me at the booth. And then before you know it, somebody comes by and you talk to them and a bunch of cool people stop by the booth. So that's fun. And I just kind of sustained it that way. So, and I was like, man, I just, I just don't feel like thinking about my damn novel today. But back to the main thing, I was writing longhand. I cannot recommend enough for the first draft of a novel or for this novel November concept. Anytime when you want to write fast, write longhand. That is my new official thing. Interesting. Okay. Because the whole point of national, let's all write a novel in the month of November and you know, call it a novel, whatever that, that is, you know, Natubla the Mimo, right? Um, the whole purpose of that is get rid of the inner perfectionists, get rid of Victor Vaughn, as we're talking about. Don't edit. Don't edit on the fly. Yeah, if you want to, if you fuck something up, please edit that, right. you know, but, but this isn't the time for you to wordsmith anything. You write it shitty and write it fast. Nothing is as good for shitty and fast as writing in a pen in a notebook because, you, you're not correcting shit, you know, like if you got to line out a word every now and then and, and do it, you go, but like you are just writing and uh, yeah, your hand may hurt at the end of the day, but the point is to get this idea down and it's so great for that. You, you don't have the luxury of going back and erasing or going like, oh, maybe there's a better word here or maybe this, maybe that. Right. Fuck it, write it, write it shitty. And then once it's written, it's amazing where you're like, yeah, I really don't want to screw with that. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. So yeah, man, I think each of the first two days, again, I, I got between like 1,100 and 1,400 words, something like that. It was just going through it and, you know, yeah, who knows what it's going to end up as, but uh, it really served its purpose. And uh, I, I now officially cannot recommend enough that if you're going for something where it's just first drafty, I, I encourage, or if you even want to switch it up, because that can happen too. Sometimes you can hit a creative block in what you're writing and you just need something different. Try longhand. Longhand's great. Go If you don't have a journal, go buy one. They're everywhere now. Yeah. That's there's, a, a, there's a moleskin section at Target for crying out loud. Oh, wow. Target. Yeah. 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 Ed does the same thing, actually. He uh, always starts uh, long longhand. Uh, he, he always has a yellow, uh, li- yellow legal pad or he has those spiral binders that he uses. Mm-hmm. And that's like – sometimes like I'll ask him a question. He just takes a photo of his spiral binder and sends it to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. You know, like that hasn't happened in a while, but that's his process. He loves to work, you know, uh, pencil to paper, you Mm -hmm. know, and like that's his first instinct. That's his first, you know, that's the way he creates. Yeah. So, and then he transcribes all that onto the computer for me. And then, you know, I do my thing. But um, yeah, everyone has their process. And honestly, there's been times where I'm like, man, I really want to bust out my sketchbook, you know, and it's just like, there, there's something about it. Like once you learn how to use digital, to learn digital, digital, there is a learning curve there. It takes a while, but once you got it, you got it. And uh, but there's something, something to, you know, be said about working on paper yeah. itself, and and it's nice to change it up. Exactly. And again, there, there's over the course of this podcast, more things may come up for this switch it up idea. There's plenty of cool things you can do, but boy, does this one work and. Like you said, there's something kind of special about just writing on on the journal page or on a 
piece of paper and having it be in ink. It's like, you know, you're thinking, wow, I'm just like Ben Franklin. It's <laughs> exactly how Ben Franklin wrote right. Poor Richard Al- Almanac. He just yeah. sat down and did this shit, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, man, it's it's pretty cool. It's it's the roots of writing. So, uh, so yeah, man, if if you need if you need to switch it up a little bit, I encourage it. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly that's like the the whole basis of like the Slack method is switching it up when you need to. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this this page has become stagnant. I I can't do this right now. This is not something I want to work on. You keep it moving by changing it up. You change the page or you change your duty. Am I doing characters? Am I doing background? Yeah. You know, it, it's all about those things. Just uh, keeping it moving and, and just, you know, whatever's working for you and whatever's not working for you, move away from it if you can. Yep. Yep, that, totally. So uh, what was your second thing? Um, I've been working on side pieces, just kind of like promotional pieces for Second Shift. Like there's something about that, just having having more images of your work and then a lot of times them not having really a purpose. Like there was, there was a couple of images, images that Jim Lee did of like the wildcats that I was like, man, that picture is so amazing. Or, you know, Rob Liefeld was doing X-Force. I was like, man, that's, that's such a a amazing group shot. I I wonder if that's going to be on a cover and it never was on a cover. Mm -hmm. And it always bothered me because the image was so good, but I also thought it was, that's what kind of what made it special. Yeah. Like it was just, just an ad. Mm-hmm. It had, they had no other purpose but to be an ad. And I'm like, but it's so killer. How come, how come you wouldn't put that on a book? So I do like creating those images to kind of have that nostalgia in a way. They're like this weird fucked up nostalgia that I hated, yeah. but also loved. So, um, uh, I'm creating some images just here and there randomly. And, uh, Travis from the accidental aliens, he suggested another project and uh, I'll talk about it more once it gets rolling. I think it's right now it's in the conceptual stage. And it's a pretty cool concept that he thought of. And it's it's a pool that I've been delving into recently. And I'll talk to you about it off the air. But um, I'm interested to do it. Uh, the problem is uh, iron's in the fire. Like there is not enough time in the day. Because like I still want to work on second shift. Wanderers 3 is so far past due. Like I, it should have been done... Uh, in the summer of this year, mm-hmm. um, but it was not because I started. I was working on uh, I think Second Shift Ten, and then uh, you know you just get busy and you have all these commissions and and shit gets out of whack. So and then I also have that one character that I put on hold that I want to tackle, mm-hmm. um, and and so it's just like I want to do that, but I want to do that, I want to do that. I think the uh, one of the benefits, and I've I spoke about this before, of doing that Drawtober event is I'm faster now. Mm-hmm. Like I just if if I have. My, my brain is like, you have to do a panel a day. And that's, that's part of, that's always been a part of my thing is like, I want to be able to hustle. If you do a panel a day and conservatively, if you're doing a panel a day, let's say a page is anywhere from four to six panels uh, a piece, right? And that's going to give you about 65 pages at the end of the year. That's a good, that's a good total uh, if you're on the indies. It's like, all right, if it's not your sole, sole uh, income, you're not doing comics 24-7, to have 65 pages at the end of the year, it's nothing to sneeze at. So exactly. it's like that's where I want to be all the time. So uh, you know, doing these Drawtober events, that makes those things a reality. So that's when Travis proposes this new idea. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that mm-hmm. because I know I can get it done. Yep. So it's just a matter of me uh, getting all my ducks in a row. Uh, the, the biggest duck of them all is Wanderers 3. And so as soon as um, I finish the lettering on these two books – and get that all off to the printer and, and all of that shit. Then I get to focus on Wanderers and really tackle that thing. And uh, I think I can get that moving. I could probably average two panels a day with that. Because everything is so 
natural. Everything's a natural line. Everything's organic. Um, there's a simple layout for Wanderers. It's I only do four pa uh, four panel pages or splashes. Okay. That's that's what I do with that book mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I don't know why, right. but that's what I do. I'm like, you know what? You get the widescreen shot. You can fit a lot of action in there. You got to play with that. Like, I think as an artist, it's fun to try to play with panels that you, you have a limitation on. Mm. It's like, okay, with Second Shift, I could do whatever I want. I can have any kind of panel layout um, that I can think of. Wanderers, it's like, I want to kind of keep it like this. I like to think of it as a widescreen cartoon format because I could I see Wanderers as like a manga or as like an anime. Mm -hmm. So I kind of draw in like a, my American anime style, manga style, and uh, I have that widescreen shot so people can take it like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think that just... That allows me to move a lot quicker because I'm not like, okay, well, well, how do I organize these panels? How do I make this make sense? Oh, you don't have a choice. This this is yeah. what the screen looks like. Now you get to choose the angle of your camera. Or are you coming from above? Or you got this Dutch angle? Mm -hmm. Are you know? Are you going to tilt it on its side? What's going on here? So uh, that's those are the interesting, um, not problems, but those those are the interesting things when you go into a project that has a set frame and this is the only way you could work. Yeah, that, that's also what's interesting. I mean, you've said a bunch of interesting shit there, but that is what is also the kind of thinking that's good when you've reached this next level. Because when you go beyond drawing panels and you start to realize that you're constructing pages and putting those pages into a construction of a comic, you know, Gary kind of touched on this a couple episodes ago. You, you know, the more conscious you are of how these things affect readers, uh, the more you can use that to your advantage. Like, I can't remember what what comic it was, but, you know, I, I'm sure anybody out there listening, like, pick up some comics and see what things, If are they consciously trying to do anything? And if they are, what do you think they're trying to do? You know, when you said you've got the widescreen format, I've, I've read comics where every single panel is a widescreen image. Because they know that by creating that, it's going to make it feel like a movie in your head. It's going to make it feel cinematic. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of conscious choices you can make on a panel level, on a page level, and fuse them all together, whatever those things are. Some things you do, you know, like, like here's a great example. Here's, here's how you can get a little bit of uh, manga in, in your comic. And you may have mentioned this on a past podcast. Hold something for silent panels. That is extremely manga. That is a very Eastern comic idea to have silent space where you're either repeating the same panel or you're pulling the Ryan Otley thing of changing one or two things really to just hold that moment and bring the reader's attention to that moment. And those are just two examples of ways that you, the artist and the writer, you know, since you're all working in tandem here, can take some uh, some concepts, some things that we all understand as readers and really plug that into your comic. Yeah, control the tempo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, and that's something too with the directional devices that I would talk about on pages. Uh, you can do directional devices that move your eye through the page uh, quickly or slowly. Like you have the ability to make a reader stop and like turn back and look. They don't know what's happening. They don't know how you're doing it, but you have the ability to do it. Just by having characters face a certain direction, it controls where they're looking and how long they look there. Yeah. So it's it, it's so interesting. Like, yeah. like the more you get into the nuts and bolts of making comics, you realize it's not 
it's not so easy. It's not just it's not just drawing an image on a on a in a panel. You know, it's just there's way more to it. It can be. It can, it can be, be just yeah. drawing an image on the panel, but when you get to this second level, this third level, you break through into these other ideas, you realize that I, there's this awesome, um, for, for people out there that read music books, there's a series of books called 33 and a Third, where they take a classic album and write about just that album. And there's one on Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland. And I wish I could recount this part better, but what it talks about is how Hendrix used feedback. And this author proceeds to lay out like the six, seven levels of feedback and how you can use them. And Jimi Hendrix was such an audio genius that he understood how feedback works from his guitar to the amplifier, from the amplifier out into the air and into the audience and using the acoustics of the place and positioning himself around the amplifier to modify those acoustics. That's the type of shit you can get to on a comics level, the more aware you are of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, on a, on a semi-related note, Lance Pilgrim just sent me back basically the 99% completed version of Three Protectors. Oh, right on. And you've read a early version of that, so you know that it's a fusion of comic pages and graphic pages. And what Lance did with the graphic pages elevates the book so much. I was like, I read it last night and I was just like, dude, I cannot wait to share this book. I am so excited about it. And of course I get to try to break down on my own comic and be like, well, why did this work? Why did that work? And there's all these cool things he did. There were these neat, neat choices that really, you know, plot the course for why this book is going to have a certain effect on people. So I was, I was blown away with Lance's work and I'm, couldn't be more excited to share it. And, you know, a couple months from now, I'm going to be able to. So okay, cool. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show it to you right after we stop. Okay, recording. cool. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what, so when's the uh, tentative release date for it? Yeah, we're going to be, I believe we're going to kickstart it in March. And it's going to be in Diamond Previews in March for May release in comic book stores. Oh, that's awesome. again, we've set out our, our first, like, nine-month schedule. So I know exactly when it's slotted. That's so, perfect. Yeah, awesome. man. Rock and roll. We're Very exciting. Yeah, releasing new books, it's... It's just so exciting. And even talking to Travis and some of the other aliens about doing a new project, it's it's interesting. Like, we try to set this thing up where instead of having this yearly annual or, or anthology that we, we, we do, instead of doing that, write stories on your own. Draw stories on your own. Whenever you have your six to eight page story done, send it to us. And whatever type of story it is. So we have two titles that we want to do this under. Astounding Adventures, which is the superhero-related title. Mm -hmm. So if you have a short story on a superhero, we'll put it in this book. And then they'll live in this world. And that's what it is. And then we have Tales from the Mothership. That was the first one to actually get done. That I think that was like in 2019. And it was uh, uh, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. All sci-fi related stories or um, actually the Tales from the Mothership is like a catch-all. Mm-hmm. So you do sci-fi, you can do drama, whatever you want to do. It's just going to go in there. Mm-hmm. And then like just to just to separate the superhero stuff from the other. Yep. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of readers that don't want superhero stuff. So, all right, we're not going to have any of it in there. We'll have this title. That's a catch-all. Mm-hmm. You can you can dip your toes in different genres and it's all good. Unfortunately, the open window model of you just doing whatever you want whenever you want and then submitting it to us it didn't work. No one, no one was like setting out to do any work. Everyone was waiting for a date, and mm-hmm. it was. Just, and so it's just so weird because it's like, 
I'm giving you guys freedom. Yeah. You do whatever you want. Tell whatever story you want and then give it to me and then we'll publish it. Like that's that's all you need to do. Yes. But then uh, so Travis mentioned this thing and, and people are actually excited, excited about it. It's like, guys, no one told you guys to stop working. Like yeah. how come everyone else doesn't exactly. just keep doing work? Because Because to quote the general in The Mandalorian, people don't want freedom. They want order. Drink up. By yeah, the way. we did. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did it. it. Uh, we did it. People. Okay, so uh, that was all you had for the week, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to. I am hoping that by me showing you this, this is going to prompt a discussion, which I believe will be the main topic of the episode. Okay, um, I got a text from Lance, not related to Three Protectors, and he sent me this, and he said, "This character design looks familiar." Oh, what the heck! So uh, why don't you go ahead and read what is on the screen so people can relate to it for themselves. Netflix's Hellbound surpasses Squid Game and becomes number one show in 24 hours. Right, right. So uh, I encourage people out there right now to take a look at what is probably like the main picture that is associated with this Hellbound show. My hunch is surpassing the Squid Game in a day does not make you Squid Game. Right. Squid Game is a was a galvanizing rod that we all loved. This looks like just another show of the week on Netflix to me. I haven't heard a single person talk about it. Okay. It doesn't have that Squid Game vibe. That said, why don't you describe what that monster looked like? Oh, Kadoja. It looked like Kadoja, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, uh, so I'm going to take a shot at this. It has apparently the same number of figures. fingers. It is a rock golem looking thing like Kadoja. Um, it has larger arms, like kind of ape-like arms in the way Kadoja does. It appears to have the same leg and foot structure as Kadoja. The face is different. The face kind of looks like you took that, um, you know, the gray bearded Hulk and, and oh, made that yeah. the face instead. But it is like clearly the signature monster from this show, Hellbound. And so when Lance sent that to me, I was like, Wow. <laughs> and so, so tell me, what are your thoughts immediately when you, when you see that and you say it looks like Kadoja? Uh, um, my thought would be, because I had a similar incident when Raya came out, um, the trailer, she rides a armadillo, um, but it has the same rolling device that I was using for Wanderers uh, with Lee and Charlie. Charlie is a giant roly-poly. And so he would roll in battle and, and, and that's like, you know, how he'd fuck people up or whatever. And so the Raya trailer comes out and I'm like, oh, uh, my, one of my nephews told me about this and I'm watching the trailer. I'm like, this looks great. And I see the rolling armadillo and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, did someone see my shit? My stuff is useless. Now I need to trade. I need to change this somehow. I have all of these emotions running through me by seeing this one armadillo do the same thing that my my creature did. And honestly, I didn't, like, I caught it at a glance, so I thought they had a roly-poly that did the same thing, and I'm like, I was robbed. Someone yeah. someone saw my shit at a convention, or someone bought something at a convention that worked at a studio, and then they did this, and or they passed it along, or something along that. that, that that's always my first reaction right. when I see something that's so close. Right, and so you started a sentence right now that you asked me before we started recording, and I'd like you to finish it. You said, did I try... Oh, did you trademark or co and copyright Kadoja? And was that your thought when you were asking, like, should I trademark Wanderers of Melisandre? Was that where you were going to go when you no. were just talking? Oh, okay. 
Okay, that's what it sounded like. But no, it's ask, like my thought was I'm fucked. Like, oh, okay. like what do I do now? I so, have to change my whole concept. So this is why the topic's going to be a little bit about legal stuff because what we're going to talk about is these kind of things that happen that seem awfully coinky dick. You know, um, did I trademark or copyright Kadoja? The answer is no. And and uh, because I've talked to legal experts about this, the way copyright works is copyright works from the moment that the creator actually creates it. So back when Rory and Lance and I were exchanging emails about the looks of Kadoja and what it looked like 10 years ago, a decade ago, um, that is when that copyright came into existence because we created the idea right then and there. When you release it to the public, it obviously cements that a little bit more. So because most people should know, who know, that a a comic named Kadoja has existed in comic form since 2012, um, that, that makes the copyright happen. If you wanted to copyright or trademark your shit, you can do that. It's going to cost a whole lot of money or a fair amount of money. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of how this works. When you trademark something, like let's talk about the Coca-Cola logo. Okay, that's trademarked. If you if you look at any Coca-Cola logo, you're going to see a tiny little TM somewhere. The classic cursive Coca-Cola logo. That is trademarked in that you can't do that anywhere. But just that thing is trademarked. Just that logo, the way it looks like that. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to trademark Kadoja, and I trademarked Kadoja with the left arm out and the right arm behind it, that's the trademark. If both arms were in front of it, that's not the trademark anymore. I believe mm-hmm. that's the way it works. Okay. If you, like, if you trademarked a comic, then you'd be sort of trademarking everything through it. But the whole thing is weird. And all that really does is that protects the pages that are in the panels in that comic and only those, right? That's, that's what it protects. Okay. And then this, this leads you to, okay, I did all this great stuff. What does it get me? What, what trademark protection gets you and generally copyright over and above protection. But again, copyright happens at inception these days. It gives you the ability to sue for penal damages. It gives you the ability to sue for hurt feelings, right? So if, if I wanted to sue somebody for use of Kadoja without copyright, with just the normal copyright that exists and no trademarking, what I would be able to do is get my money back. I'd be able to be like, this is what you made off this. I want that money. Here's the thing. What having that extra layer of protection allows you to say is, you shouldn't have fucked with me. I want $3 million or $10 million, whatever it's going to be. You get to sue for like penal damages, I believe is the way it goes. Okay, interesting. So that is what that level of protection does. But this is where it gets back into what both of us have been hinting at without really talking about, which is to prove that someone infringed on your copyright, you need two things. You need access and you need intent. You need those two things. So I, I believe that's how it works. Um, Access in the in the days of the internet, hell of a lot easier to prove. Yeah, because if it's on the internet, then anybody can look it up. That ain't hard. Right. Um, but again, I believe you need to kind of get into this intent thing too, right? So access on the internet is different than finding a copy of Wanderers of Melisanda in the studios where they made Raya the Last Dragon. All right, well, we got something there now. Right. But if you think that people like that are leaving copies of comics and shit around, they're probably not. Plus, these these guys probably get all kinds of official things from their, their lawyers, you know. So 
this gets us back to kind of square one. And, and I'm not going to name the movie, but I think I've named it to you off, off screen. But there is a movie out there that I think is pretty bad. And, um, and there was a part where I was talking about the movie and I said, you know, that movie sucked, but there were these couple things that were actually kind of inspired about it, which I liked. And my wife was like, anything strike you about those scenes? And I was like, no. She's like, they're in Kadoja. And I was like, well, shit, you're right. <laughs> you know, so that's where you kind of get back into this. And I actually talked with Lance about it. And in both cases, Lance has just been like, yes, I want to go after people, you know, where, where Mike <laughs> has funny. been more of, you know, kind of where I am, which is you can't prove anything. Right. right. And, and the thing about both of these things, like theoretically, this hellbound, mon- the, the thing that makes it tricky is the hellbound monster is sort of like Kadoja. If you wanted to get all conspiracy theory on it, you could say it's enough of a difference from Kadoja so that I can't do anything. Right. Right. Um, and that's where it starts to get a little coinky dinky, you know, just like this movie has enough of a change from what I did to be like, yeah, there's no real way I can I can do anything. Right. Um, but, but that's also where you just also have to ask yourself, are we just people pulling from the same well of common ideas? Right. Right. And that's, and that's where you end up having to land, whether you want to land there or not, but that's generally where I land anyway. It's, it's a coincidence. It is definitely like a, Hmm. I mean, you saw it, you know, and again, if, if anybody out there wants to do the Pepsi challenge, go ahead, take a look at that hellbound monster and take a look at Kadoja and. I think I think you're going to see a whole lot of similarities there, but that doesn't mean anything's provable, right? And that doesn't mean both of us weren't just channeling the same cosmic energy and the collective unconscious of Carl Jung, you know, in our own dumb little way in the in the nerd universe and and going from there, you know. Yeah, that, that's it's a weird thing. Like when I was wrestling, uh, I would watch a lot of old wrestling. I watched like stuff from the '80s, the '90s. And uh, I would pull from that. That was the stuff that I like to look at because a lot of the guys, they would watch each other and steal from each other. They would get inspiration mm-hmm. from each other. So you have a bunch of essentially re- recycled shit that is in the foreground of everyone's mind that are, is watching the, the independent circuit on uh, pro wrestling. But so I would I would watch old 80 shit to get something completely different. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, these guys aren't working anymore. They're doing some interesting stuff. Let me see what they're doing and maybe I can tweak it. Maybe I can just straight up use it. Who knows? And so I would pull a lot of that stuff. But once in a while, I would just go, you know what? You know what? No one does anymore. No one does an inverted atomic drop. What a great move. You drop a guy on his nuts on your knee. That's a great move. I can use that as a setup to something else because they'll be bent over. I can hit the rope. I can do, you know, clothesline them. I can kick them in the face, whatever the case is. Right. And then somehow four people on the same show do an inverted atomic drop not we're not we're not planning our matches near each other no Mm -hmm. one's hearing what i'm saying that i think of but then four of the guys end up doing it and i hadn't seen anyone do it in in like a year or so yeah why is that i don't know like there's just this you know it's like that ape theory where uh you know like a monkey learns how to use like a rock to crack open a nut on one side of the planet and on the other side of the planet, another monkey learned the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's where I come down on a lot of it for the most part. Totally. But then there's always that the back of my mind. My first, like like I said, my first instinct is like the fucking thieves. 
They stole from me. Someone saw it. Right. And then my rational brain comes and goes, no one saw your book, dummy. Just yeah. like the no one from get Disney, over yourself. Yeah, no one from yeah. Disney read your comic. You exactly. know, exactly. But uh, but there are things where uh, you know, like at you know, as I was coming up, um, I would see a indie wrestler who was more famous than I, or a famous wrestler who was on WWE do something that I did, and I would wonder if they saw something I did because my tapes were out there, mm-hmm. right? Like I couldn't prove that they watched my matches, yeah, but it seemed very coincidental. Yeah. And then like, as time got on, the bigger I got, the more I would see it happen. And then I would have access to those people through other people. And I go, Hey, ask them if they watch my stuff. And go, yeah, they watch your stuff. They yeah. said, you're great. They like your stuff. And then, so you get these, so I'll, I'll get these confirmations that what I was thinking was correct. These people right. were stealing from me. They did watch my stuff and they stole it. Right. But and so you just kind of wonder, has your book been out there enough for someone to wander across it? Yeah. And go, hey, this ain't bad. Or like or it's one of those things where you read something and years later you go, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And then you write something like it and, and you go, Oh shit, that was Oh fuck! I remember this book. Oh shit! I read that book. Yeah. Oh crap! I wrote the same thing that was in that book. Yeah. Sometimes your brain stores things and you don't you don't remember totally. And so you take these bits and pieces and you apply them. And so you've done the thing. You've done the Rye of the Last Dragon and yep. stole the spinning, you know, uh, armadillo. Yep. And go. Oh fuck! That was from that comic that I read. Yeah. And uh, I ran across that from another artist who I hit up about doing a piece for me. And uh, I liked the way he did certain things, so I sent him Wanders. I said, hey, man, uh, do you think you can do a cover for this? Like, I know you got, you know, you had your commission open or whatever. Um, this, these are my, this is the book that I do. He ended up releasing a short story that had very similar events that happened from the book that I did. And I was like, huh, that's super weird. Yeah. And and it's it's I don't know if it's one of those things where did he just fucking steal my shit? Well, you could prove access in that case, too. Right. You know, but So or or uh did, you know, did he just think of it on his own or did he like did he never open it yeah. or did he read it and do the same thing where he just stopped thinking about it, was living his life and goes, "Oh, it would be cool if I did this story and this yeah. thing happened." Yeah. So Well, this this goes back to the example that I've given before. I think on the podcast, which I'm going to give very quickly, which is essentially you can write the lawyer gave me the example that you can write a story just like Harry Potter. Just don't call the wizard Harry Potter and don't call the bad guy Voldemort and don't do all these other things like that's that's where it gets down to it. And that's obviously where I land on Hellbound. It's it's from Korea. So the the access seems much more questionable there. Right. It seems more like we're just channeling the same cosmic energy. That said, it looks a lot like Kadoja, man. (laughs) So so what are you going to do? But anyway, so, you know, the the legal stuff is interesting. And it's, you know, in general, I think when people talk about legal protection and all this stuff, I've talked to, to a fair amount of comic creators where they just seem to get so obsessed about protecting it and paying for this and paying all this money to like trademark a logo and trademark a brand and trademark their character. And you know, again, what that is giving you, the word is punitive, not penal. Um, but I'm just, I'm going to keep it in there because it's basically the same thing. It's punitive damages. Okay. That's all it allows you to sue for. All this stuff you're going through allows people, allows you to sue for it. But again, it gets back to the fact that you can't trademark the idea or you can't copyright the idea. So if they want to write a story just like yours, but the characters' names are different, tough shit. 
Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you know, there's there's kind of a little bit of like, huh, I see you. You know, that right. kind of thing. But that's all there really is. And, you know, just the best thing to do is go back to the drawing board and write something good again. Right. And uh, and and and, uh, and see how that one goes. Right. Yeah. And you get that with famous creators. They'll do their analog of Superman. You know, it's just like you read the story. You're like, yeah, this is supposed to be Superman. But it's their character because they couldn't get away with that with DC. DC's like, we can't let you do that with Superman. Yeah, exactly. And then so they go off. They create their own version of it. And they do what they will. Yep. And, and it is what it is. Unfortunately, um, it's a dangerous world out there. So, you know, get your books made and hopefully one of them takes off and you can go, phew, first one at the top of the hill, you exactly. know, and you don't have to worry about uh, getting ripped off, which yeah. is which is a huge problem. So, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, you guys out there, try to think of your own ideas. Yeah, just, <laughs> just keep creating. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So right. just, just keep on rocking it and do what you can. So we're getting into the the nonsensical portion of the program. And I'd I would, imagine I would we like, are. I would like to start with some high grade nonsense. All right. I'm at the convention yesterday, and I'm just at my booth minding my own business. And maybe this goes back into this. You just you just don't know where these ideas come from. This song jumps in my head. I can't get it out of my fucking head. I can't do it. I start singing it. I end up having to download it this morning. I listened to it on the way in. I've listened to it twice since. I can't get it out. It's just, it's displaced Silk Sonic somehow in my head, which has been in my head for weeks. It's it's the only girl in the world by Rihanna. <laughs> Do you know the song I'm talking about? I think so. Make me feel like I'm the only girl oh, yeah, in the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm at my table and it's just like, it's just like <laughs> reverberating through my fucking head. And it was just like, where did this come from? I have absolutely no idea. Like what a random, I mean, the human brain is this weird ass thing that none of us understand. No. But I mean, if that's, if that's not, you know, exhibit A on that, we all have our own exhibit A's every day. Oh, yeah. You know? and, um, and for those of you listening, congratulations. You're probably going to have that Rihanna song in your head now. So uh, I'm Dan- here to do a public service. <laughs> uh, uh, my girlfriend listens to uh, basically old, I'm oldies. Uh, I guess they're considered oldies. It's a lot of music from the 90s. So she <laughs> oldies. You get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, well, kids today would say that's them oldies i don't i don't acknowledge that as right oldies. right no. yeah i mean it's, it's quite a while ago yeah, i was in uh, my 20s that's yeah. not oldies please please uh, don't stop making me feel old <laughs> so she listens to the 90s station essentially and i know almost i would say i know 75 percent of the lyrics of the songs that get played maybe more and i'm like i haven't heard the song since the 90s and i still know all of the words but you told me something earlier today that I cannot remember. There is no reason why I should know as much Smash Mouth or, you know, it was like No Doubt or something that I know. But I know it all. And it's in there. And it's just like, I don't I don't need to hear this. Like Yeah. Yeah. Or other oldies like the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> right. The old. <laughs> the oldie. <laughs> yeah. well, let's turn on the oldie station. Let's hear... <laughs> Bring the Ruckus by the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> That's a good oldie. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just so bizarre, like, the, the shit we keep in our head and the stuff that we discard. It's like, okay, how come I couldn't remember how to do this particular tri- uh, trick in Photoshop that I need to cut part of the logo with? I kind of can remember it, but I can't. But I can tell you all of the lyrics to a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you can tell me, you, the, here's what's worse. You can tell me lyrics to a song. I, I can't remember what song came on 
when I was in the car with my kid last week, it was a song that I said, I know 90% of the lyrics to this song and I have never liked it that much nor gone out of my way to listen to it. What is it doing here? Right. What What are you doing in Just my brain? Taking up headspace that yeah. could be used for something it's better. Something important. Right. So, yeah, anyway. It's just, just weird, man. It's so stupid. You get any comics this week? Or you? I guess it, it was a holiday week, so probably not. Uh, I try to go in. Uh, so SoCal, they were open on Wednesday uh, when the new books come in. And unfortunately, the only books that were in were DC. So there's uh, Diamond had a situation this week. And so basically... All of the books that I would read, like I collect one DC book and it's Batman. Mm. Uh, there was no Batman this week, so everything else that I potentially would read was not there. <laughs> so I see. yeah, I, I see. went in. It was a it was a waste of time. It wasn't bad, but um, I actually got to meet up. You know, something Comic Con related. Um, my buddy uh, Josh Waldrop, he has a new new label where he's helping out independent creators, kind of like a a diamond catalog, but for indie books. And so he was telling me about it. It sounds super cool. It's called uh, Ultima Comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, yeah. I was like, so what do you? What kind of profit are you trying to get off of this? Because he was, you know, we were talking about Diamond and like the percentage you have to give them and then the shipping and, and all this shit. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's the same. I'm like, that's the same reason why I don't do it. The barrier for entry for me is too high. Um, I'm, I pay a decent amount, you know, like, like it's nothing too expensive for my single issues. So, and then usually when I send them somewhere it's like half of the profit so it's just like how much am i making per book it's like a quarter you know when you when you when you start getting down to it and um it just goes it just makes me go it's not worth it at this point it's not worth it for me to do it quite yet and so his thing is he wants to create a catalog for indie books where they they can send those out to the comic shops and they can flip through that just like they would you know, a previews catalog mm-hmm. just for indies and go, oh, okay, yeah, this actually looks pretty good. I'll check these and this, this, this. So I asked him, you know, what their percentage was. He goes, we haven't figured it out. He goes, but I'm not trying to rip off indie creators. He's like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to help spread the word of indie comics. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes, dude, I have a booth. If you want to take up table space, if you want to work the booth and, and sell your books all weekend, you can. You want to sell prints, you can all weekend. Um, unfor- unfortunately, Thanksgiving weekend is is no go. That's a no yeah. go for me. There's way too much going on. But uh, I appreciated the offer, and he goes, "You know what? I'll tell you what. If you can't make it, I'll sell your books for you." Oh, nice. Yeah, and he's he was he's a uh, San Diego adjacent. His girlfriend lives here, so he travels from L.A. to here quite a bit. And he goes, "I'm already in town, so if you want to meet up, you can we can drop the books off." And so we met at SoCal Comics. Nice. And so I dropped it off to him, and uh, he, I don't know how he did. I don't know if he sold anything or what. It's um, I haven't asked him all weekend. So we'll see. And uh, Ian and Cabo, he actually used to do the lettering for me uh, for a couple of uh, issues. And so he's actually selling my books at his table. So I don't know if he sold them there. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll see how that went, if I made any money while not being at San Diego. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting enough. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I really had anything else going on. You know, the, the Comic-Con weekend was just so... Both last night and the night before, I had I met my parents for dinner last night, and I met you know, my wife and one kid were with me um, the night, the first night. So it was like I didn't get back to my kid's apartment till like nine thirty, and then I was full and I had to stay up and all that stuff. So yeah, it's just been conventions, conventions, conventions. I mean, I guess I got to turn it around quick, right? Because a couple of days I'm going to be on a plane going to Seattle, where uh, where we'll see how things go at Emerald City. So. 
The nice thing is that uh, we are going to get, because of our recording schedule, basically what we did was we moved this week's recording forward three, four days. And what that means is by the time we record again, um, it, you know, we're going to have like, you know, more about one and a half weeks in between this time at which I will have tabled in Emerald City and the world will have changed. So yeah, uh, so hopefully we'll I'll have a book finished, uh, letter, yeah. finished, finished lettered and and, you know, going off to the printer or something. So we'll see. Yeah, oh, right. and then the Kickstarter is actually going to be ending. Um, as you guys are listening to this, it's already over. And, uh, yeah, so it's going to be ending in a couple of days. It's doing okay. It's not not too shabby. It's it's uh, it's kind of like, I think my average for single issues, It's it's been around 2,000 every time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, my goal is 300. So to get 2,000, it's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It, it pays for everything. We get paid a little bit. Yep. And I have books to sell that I didn't pay, have to pay for, basically. Exactly. Yep. So it's 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 good for me. People get basically, I like using Kickstarter as a pre-order system. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're my diamond distributor. Yeah. It's just like, but I'm the one controlling what everyone is seeing. Yeah. So it, it's, it's cool in, in that sense. So... Um, yeah, so far so good, and and you know got two days left, and hopefully there's some backers out there that are like they like to be the last minute hero and and boost the sales, or they're waiting to see if they have enough money on their paycheck or whatever to back it, and like that all makes sense to me. So hopefully those people do it, and uh, you know we we surpass the two thousand and uh, good to go and yeah, start man. working on the next books. Yeah, yeah, all good, all good. All right, brother, that's that's really all I got, man. Why don't we yes, just call it call it an episode? All right, everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Making Comics. Um, uh, Before we get out of here, don't forget, you can contact us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you got any questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and shoot us something there. And you can also do it on our social media. Yeah, which is, for me, it's um, at Kadoja Kaiju. That is all one word. That is all things Kadoja. And then uh, Keith underscore decibel. That is me. They're both Instagram. I am very Instagram heavy. I mean, I have things that exist on other places, but I don't really use them. So Instagram's a place to find me at both of those handles. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. Let's let's switch this up a little bit. Number one, if you want some Kadoja stuff, go to KeithRFoster.com. But let's say you don't want to go to KeithRFoster.com because you have a political opposition to my site. And you don't feel like buying Kadoja books at this time, which is which is totally cool. Here's something you can do for free. Go look up Big Pimp Jones on Spotify. Check us out. Find some songs. You know, like, I had this weird awakening when I was driving into work today. You know, you... You were always focusing on the next thing. And I've been on this huge death metal kick, you know, writing some and listening to a ton and just you know, really just exploring the lands of death metal uh, over the last two years. And I'm just driving in today like, wait a minute. We're like, I'm part of a, a pretty successful funk band here. <laughs> you know, like we've released some, some records on a bunch of different labels and we have some stuff, uh, you know, some stuff people like. And you can listen to that right now on Spotify. We have um, our first record off Freestyle, Bad Bad Jimmy Ruckus. It is a fake black exploitation soundtrack. And there is another one, Jimmy Ruckus and the Five Fingers of Death. It is the same thing. And then we have some stuff on record-breaking music. We have some singles, some 45s, and some stuff that we've self-released. We got a couple Kadoja records on there. So there's all kinds of stuff you can listen to. Um, If you want to... I'm going to recommend one of my favorite song titles. It is a chaotic frenzy of a funk song. And it's, you know, it's meant to kind of be like raw in the sense of those old exploitation flicks. There's a very short instrumental there called um, 17 Thoroughly Whipped Asses. 
<laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite song titles. One of my favorite song titles. So, uh, so yeah, man. Check that out. Check out Big Pimp Jones. It's free, and you get to listen to some funk music on Spotify while you're doing it. Nice. And you can go to accidentalaliens.com and uh, look for Second Shift or Wanderers of Melisanda. Second Shift is a tale of minimum wage workers during the day, superheroes at night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. Uh, all on accidentalaliens.com. And hey, if you want to see me wrestle, go to YouTube. Type in Scott Loss Pro Wrestling. I should pop up. Yeah. Um, yeah, since we're doing uh, different things today. And hopefully you don't get taken to a Korean car dealership. Just let's make sure you're very specific about right. pro wrestling. <laughs> Otherwise, you might buy yourself a nice used car. And, yeah. Uh, I'm not against that, and I don't think Scott is either. No. Um, and then making comics podcast at Gmail. Hit us up with an email if you have anything that you want to share with us that uh, you don't want to, you know, let the let the government see on social media, I guess, because no one monitors emails. They're fine. So I think we're <laughs> all set there. And then the other thing is that if you are on Apple Podcasts and you want to throw some love to your boy Keith and, and to your boy Scott, um, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts for making comics. It really does help. It really does uh, spread the word because you are... You are getting kind of inside the nucleus of the algorithm and influencing it. So great reviews are always welcome. If you throw some words there, it makes it even better. That's it. And that'll do it. We'll see you guys next week. Yay, yay. Yay.